This is episode 66 of Fadeless, a podcast devoted to the Supernatural series Lost Girl and all things sci-fi, supernatural, fantasy, and horror. My name is Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by Wayne, my co-host. How you doing, man? I am doing excellently well, Dave. Thank you very much. And right. I would like to apologize for the last episode, the recording ridiculousness that was going on on my end. To- you mean the uh, the percussion? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Had the uh, we just you know Dave just t- troubleshot the the problem and we figured it out. But uh, yeah, I was recording through the the microphone on the laptop rather than the microphone in my hand. Yeah, absolutely. And and plus playing a little percussion with the old uh, crescent wrenches, it sounded like. But... Yeah, I'm just like I, I I always like kind of like got ants in my pants when we record and everything and so which is normally fine if i had the microphone because you don't hear me banging around and moving things and everything but uh when you have a little bit more ambient receiver then there's a you know well you heard the result yeah and i think the restraints will work well tonight so yeah that, that was that was actually a good idea all right. So anyway, we're going to look at episode three of Birds of Prey, Pray for the Hunter, uh, in a little bit. But uh, first thing, if you subscribe to the Fatalist feed, then you'll have noticed that we're experimenting with some crossover podcasting in the form of a short format show devoted to BBC America's Orphan Black. And I'm doing that with my co-host, Mike from Liberate, a continuum podcast. And, you know, we'll be doing short format, 20-minute podcasts for each of the season two Orphan Black episodes and posting it at both websites so we'll see how that goes i'll tell you i've been watching a lot lately i I just uh i try to watch things that actors you know for shows that we pay attention to whether lost girl continuum or you know any of a number of genre shows but i try to pay attention to other work that that some of these actors are in so i happened to take a look at a film that rachel nichols from continuum is in called tokarev which was uh look if it gets a five on imdb it's usually not very good. Right. And uh, and Nicolas Cage, who's the star of the movie, may in fact have the worst hair or worst toupee of any actor anywhere in the world. Yeah, Nick's, Nick's hair has been been a subject of controversy now. You know, National Treasure 2, was, it was like kind of distracting almost. Well, I, you know what, Wayne? If you thought that was distracting, then in Tokarev, I don't, I'd, I'd be speechless. Having said that, it was actually an enjoyable movie. Rachel Nichols plays his wife, and uh, uh, he is a mobster gone legit whose daughter is kidnapped and turns up dead. And then, of course, it's uh, all about his quest to find out who the killer is. And uh, Danny Glover's in it. He plays a cop. And, you know, I, I, on IMDb, I'd probably give it like a 6.5 seven because it was fairly enjoyable and i mean you know you, just because rachel nichols is in it you can only watch it so long based on that so yeah it was rather intriguing and i certainly didn't see the end result coming no so. okay i mean i, I like nicholas cage yeah yeah but uh now the other thing you know uh, just aside from the genre shows we've been watching have you yet caught the bbc america history of sci-fi series that's been going i have not dude dude man you got it episode two was last night okay um, I haven't seen episode two yet, but I've seen episode one twice. It really, it, I mean, it just exceeds my wildest dreams for, for, you know, I was expecting something decent, but this is really good. Yeah. And you told me that before. So now I, I definitely got to tonight. I'll yeah. go up and, uh, and, and set the recorder tonight for it. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Follows orphan black. So, all right. Anyway, um, what have you been watching? Anything? Had time to do anything? Um, 
not not a ton um but uh you know definitely heavy into game of thrones which is just awesome um you know i think i mentioned before that hbo was sending us a throwing us a bone of like three months of hbo free for being a good responsible verizon customer for quite a few years now and so uh, but luckily they did it right before game of thrones started so i will be able to watch most of it and i don't know what i'm gonna do at the end but i'll figure something out Uh, i was gonna say we'll we'll be resourceful um Yeah, and you know what? That's going to be the subject of a future take five as to what constitutes genre. I mean, I know we talk all the time about you know sci-fi, supernatural, horror, fantasy, but a show like Game of Thrones, I mean, it's certainly been adopted by the genre community, but is it really genre? And the other show that I'm watching, and I know I've you know been uh, proselytizing about this one to you also, is Vikings. And, right. you know, are these genre shows so yeah you know, about I mean, you know, game of thrones you know for sure because there's a pretty strong supernatural element in it you know so yeah yeah well anyway we'll hold that for another time <laughs> right. but uh i mean certainly the dragons but yeah uh, yeah you know all right anything so, else before we uh, uh, do a little bit of yeah, news well actually i mean this isn't genre but i've kind of started watching uh mad men because you know everyone says it's really good and everything and uh yeah that's kind of not genre but go ahead. yeah <laughs> the last season started and yeah, it was it was it was quite good you know I've, I've almost gotten through uh season one and uh, i'm really liking it so um there are things out there that don't have dragons or supernatural or lasers or spaceships or anything but actually make pretty good television nonetheless yeah i've heard a lot of good uh, a lot of people whose opinions i respect say that all right anyway well a little bit of news tonight and I don't know about you. I don't think you were, but I certainly was not a Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan, having only seen the pilot. And even I, though, know it's kind of a big deal that Buffy actress Charisma Carpenter, who played Cordelia Chase in the show, is going to join the Lost Girl cast as a guest star for season five. Carpenter's going to be playing a character by the name of, I guess it's pronounced Freja, who's well known in mythology as the most renowned of the Norse goddesses. You know, in mythology, Freja rides a boar I think with it might be just bristles. Freya, but... Freya. Okay. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how they pronounce okay. it. Uh, production has begun on the fifth season of the showcase series. And once again, it's going to feature 13 hour long episodes that are going to be shot in and around Toronto. Uh, obviously we all know lost girl was the winner of the 2014 CSA fan choice award for favorite Canadian show. Now, what do we know about season five? Well, Bo apparently is going to go to hell and come back to try and save the people. She loves her family. And uh, I I posted, you probably haven't seen it yet, I posted uh, a a Take 5 today, which is something I've been talking about for a while now, When is Dead Dead? So uh, people can take a listen to that. Uh, She's going to discover that love is not always enough to keep the family together, and when you go to hell, you're bound to drag something evil back with you. Uh, Jay Firestone, executive producer, said, Lost Girl will never take a rest from bringing you twists and turns and surprises. Season five promises more intrigue than ever before. Now, the other interesting thing, although I think we all know the answer, is that confirmation has you know been out there that all the major characters are going to return except Cassinia Solo's Kenzie. No word either way there, but I mean, obviously, our guess is that they're just toying. Yeah, with they're us. just keeping that one close to the vest, right. I, I imagine. 
Right. Now, uh, while participating on a panel devoted to showrunners at WonderCon Anaheim, Rockney S. O'Bannon, who obviously has his hand in Revolution currently, provided an update on the movie version of one of his most beloved canceled shows, Farscape. We are, in fact, in the script stage of a Farscape feature, O'Bannon announced to a packed house, and it's rumored to follow the son of series mainstays John Crichton and Aaron Soon. We're still in early, early stages, O'Bannon cautioned fans, but he didn't hesitate, however, to praise Brian Henson's efforts to making the project come to life. He was like a dog with a bone, O'Bannon said. He would not give up on it, which is obviously good news. And uh, as fans know, Farscape ran from 1999 to 2003 on Sci-Fi, and then in 2004, Farscape, the Peacekeeper Wars, tied up all the loose ends for fans. So... That would certainly be cool, and you know, I guess we'll just wait. You know, being in the early script stages means we're you know probably at least a year and a half to two years away from the actual film being made. But sure. still, good news. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of like the this whole showrunner thing, like which does how many executive producers can Revolution have? Uh, I think six. Six, six yeah, maybe. It's like a dream team, man. Like the people they have working on that. They got you know Rock Nessa Bannon. They got Eric Kripke. Uh, they got J.J. Abrams. And, you know, and, when, and when you say working on it, you right. mean, I mean like, letting their name exactly, be placed in exactly, the credits. Right, because uh, clearly J.J. Abrams, I doubt, has anything to do with the day-to-day running of Revolution, as he's kind of busy right now. Yeah, he probably hasn't even seen the show, but... Yeah. But, you know, it's just funny, like, these... And, you know, they... Uh, he better be working on Star Trek Eleven or whatever we're on. Star. Well, he's, he's working on Star Wars. Oh, did he give up the Star Trek? I know we he, talked he about signed this in the, the past. He signed the Star Trek. I think he gave over to someone else. Okay. Maybe one of your boys from Lost, actually, I think. Damon Lindelof? Mm, maybe. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, you know, so, I mean, they just, there's like the, the names that they roll out on the opening credits of Revolution is, you know, like, you know, trace impressive there. But as you said, it's questionable how many of those guys are actually involved with the, you know, day-to-day running of the show and how many of them just kind of step in for, uh, you know, come around, look around the set and say, oh, yeah, put me down as executive producer, sure. All right. Well, the other thing we kind of talked about via email over the weekend a little bit, although we didn't really spend a whole lot of time nailing anything down, was uh, whether we were going to do a a segment for a list of, now, you were referring them uh, to them as a-holes. Yes, in, jo- in genre, but TV we could, and film. we could, you know, modify it and say characters that we love to hate. Well, you know, and it got me to thinking, though, uh, and, and I was running around a lot today and didn't have a lot of time sitting in front of my computer. But you know, it got me to thinking. Well, what's the difference between you know one of these kind of characters that we love to hate and just an out and out bad guy? So you know, basically, what has inspired this then is the. Um, much anticipated death of Joffrey Baratheon on um, on Game of Thrones, like as probably the most hateful character I think I've ever seen on a television show. You know, like just like he just every time you see him, just like I can't wait for you to to die, which is a bad thing to say. I know, but no, I mean I can't think of any character anywhere that I've hated like him. And like you said, I, I've wanted him to die since almost the first episode he appeared in. Yeah. Yeah. Like Ray, he didn't even waste any time being like completely reprehensible. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, in terms of spoilers, I think, you know, I think it's okay that we're, we're what three seasons past when he has uh, his future wife's father, B 
beheaded. Oh yeah, yeah. That's that's definitely we we are well within our rights to uh, to let that one go. But even before that, because like with the the butcher boy, I think it was like right in probably like episode two, um, he is he's threatening. Arya, I guess, or Sansa with yeah, yeah and, and the, the the wolf bites him, and Ned Stark has to kill Sansa's wolf and everything, and you know Joffrey completely lies and and blames on the butcher boy, and then the butcher boy is killed and everything. So like you know, just like just right away, and then nothing about him ever. Like there wasn't even any glimpse of humanity, and and it's he's like that in the books as well. Like you can imagine, like as frustrating it is to watch a character like that just for an hour like you're reading a book and like this kid you're just like well, you are awful <laughs> you know? yeah i so. mean i i just can't think of anybody i mean again i mean you know you you obviously know far more about the harry potter franchise than i do but you know even the bad guys uh what's his name uh the blonde guy oh draco malfoy yeah I, I, as hateful as he is he doesn't even approach joffrey yeah yeah, not even close. Not even close. And, and that's and then that's I, about as close as you could get, but Draco is still like eons away from Joffrey. Yeah, and then I started thinking about characters like, you know, Lost with Sawyer. And, you know, I mean, for a long time, I mean, he's a pretty hateful character. You know, who are some of the ones you mentioned? To well, me? the, you know, the one, and you would, like, a lot of the characters I'd thrown out there are, like, you know, when you look at, like, Joffrey, he's completely irredeemable. It's Absolutely. Rotten to the core, no redeeming qualities whatsoever. Um, but like one that I threw out there was like Colonel Ty from Balsar Galactica, who granted is an a-hole a lot of times, but also has some very heroic and redeeming qualities to him as well. Right. And you mentioned Kane from the new show, The Hundred. Yes. Right, pl- right. Played by. Is that Henry Ian uh, Cusiak's character? Y- yes, yeah. exactly. And and again, but, uh, you know, it's almost like the guy that, that is chancellor recognize that, you know, his ability to make the decisions nobody else wants to make yeah. is really what makes him the best man for the job at that point. And, and I think the same like you, you know, you certainly did mention the heroism with Colonel Ty. I mean, I mean, he was thrust into, a, you know, a pretty bad situation and. I don't want to say he did the best he could, but but certainly, because uh, certainly he was a flawed human being as well as a flawed military man. But right, and but even leading do... the insurgency, you know, back in, in that that last season, he was still kind of that same like seems to always be working against like the rationale kind of um, solution to any kind of problem, you know. Well, who else did you have that you wanted to throw uh, out there? I'd thrown out um, Khan from Star Trek okay. yeah. in the movie. And he's you know, Ricardo Montalban. Um, and, and he's just a pretty, pretty bad guy altogether with his you know, racial superiority type stuff and everything like that. God, who else did I put down? Oh, the, uh, the dude from Lost. I can't remember his name again. Oh, um, yeah, Ben Linus. Ben, yes, Ben Linus, right. Yeah. But but again, then, you know, you get down to the and this was my problem as I started thinking about all of these guys is that that in many cases there was a reason they were the way they sure. were. And, and um, you know, certainly complex characters and certainly, uh, you know, did a lot of things that, that most people would perceive as being even evil. But, you know, at the end. You know, there was that little spark there that, you know, you mentioned the phrase, you know, uh, the word redeemable. And, and, you know, I think in the end he was. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, 
and, and that's what, that's why I think we come back to the the fact that Joffrey is just kind of this anomaly, because who can stand it? Really, who can stand a character who is just horrible all the time? Yeah, you know, except so, for even maybe, you know, this isn't a genre show, but Newman on Seinfeld was like, you know, that character who's just utterly hateable. But even Newman had some moments that were funny. You know, yeah. not many, but, right? But you relate to him a little bit. Well, and certainly in the comic book uh, characters, uh, superhero genre. I mean, there's a lot of the bad guys oh, that, well, yeah. that would fit that bill. Sure, sure. Uh, but you know, and even like when some of the companies began to retool their traditional heroes and, and villains, um, like we talked the last time about the Killing Joke, the the Joker centric. A graphic novel that that DC did, um, kind of showing the backstory for the Joker and this kind of human element to him, this this monster character and everything. Um, so, yeah, even there, you know, um, you, you mentioned Draco Malfoy and like seeming that that little element of redeemability in him. You know, we see that even in Draco, who is you know obviously just a really nasty, awful person most of the time. Um, but in the the sixth book, you know, he's basically building this portal to get the bad guys into Hogwarts, and uh, and, and we see that he's actually you know crying, like he's frustrated and crying in the bathroom, and, and Harry feels a moment of pity for him, and, and we see that here's a kid who's you know kind of forced into something here, you know, like he's being forced into some, his family's being threatened, and so we see we don't necessarily like him. But we also, though, see that there's more to it than just, you know, straight up, he's a bad guy. Obviously, we could go on for hours with this. So uh, why don't we get into, you've got a little bit to talk about in terms of Project X that relates to the episode we're going to talk about tonight. So why don't you hit us up with that? Okay. So I did a little bit of uh, talking because the last time we talked about Batgirl. And so now let's talk about The Huntress. The Huntress, it appears, like, see, I... I, I've again my DC comic book reading when I was younger was almost nil. I got into DC comics a little bit later when I was older, but then I couldn't afford it anymore, so I stopped. But uh, so I only have run across the Huntress a little bit. But apparently, see what DC has done is they have this multi-universe thing that they've set up. So there's other universes that have similar heroes that are on. Like our world, and then there's like our world is like Earth Prime, I think. Like Earth Prime is just like literally us. Well, there's no superheroes; just all the superheroes only exist in comic books. And then Earth One are like the the one we we know, like of Batman and Superman and all that. And then there's like Earth Two that has Batman, and Superman, the Flash, and everything. But they're like kind of like Golden Age, like kind of like their classic appearances. Like Flash has like that little helmet on uh, have you ever seen the flash like who looked like that um yeah it sounds familiar but yeah, like back when the, the flash first came out i guess he had like a helmet like uh like mercury like the god oh yeah yeah with yeah, little sure. wings on the side so that's what the dude looks like on earth too so yeah oh, okay um and so I th- huntress is from earth two uh on earth two batman and catwoman get together and create helena wayne so I guess in there she she knew she was um, that that Batman was her dad or that Bruce Wayne was her dad. Um, so 
Selena Kyle is Catwoman, and uh, she gets blackmailed in return to crime, which then she leads to her death. So then Helena Wayne uh, decides to put on a costume and fight crime in revenge for her mother's death. And so in 1985, there's a big, this is kind of like, I guess, a turning point in DC Comics, this Crisis on Infinite Earths uh, series. I actually collected the Crisis on Earth Prime series, which was like two years earlier. I guess every year DC would kick out some multi-universe crisis that would bring all their, basically all their their characters together from not just Earth 1 to Earth 2 and everything. Uh, and I guess it did this every year, just one year. I don't know. It must have just caught my fancy as I was perusing the, uh, the comic book stands at, at the local bookstore. Um. So this Crisis on Infinite Earths, I guess, was a way that DC Comics was using to kind of reconcile everything, like all these origin stories it had flowing around from years and years and years and that they retold and everything. But anyway, so in, in this, uh, Helena Wayne dies then. So the Huntress dies. Um, and then so DC discontinued her then and then brought her back later. Now it's Helena Bertinelli. Uh, who's the daughter of a mafia boss. And this is the, the Huntress that we see on Arrow. Right. Right. And, but what has always kind of remained the same for the Huntress is she's always been like a wild card and always, Batman's always been trying to like reel her in and, you know, have her beat nice and, and not beat up the bad guys so much and everything. Um, you know, to, to no avail. You know, I, I guess she eventually joined the, uh, the Justice, the, the League the of Just, Assassins, right? Well, she, the, the Justice League of America, I guess she joins up with. Um, at some point, Batman like gets her in, like kind of vouches for her, like she's cool. Um, and the Justice League was like the cartoon that you know, like when I was a kid, like we watched like religiously and everything. Though I don't know if Huntress was ever on that. I'll have to check that out. But um, anyway, so in uh, 2012, uh, the Huntress now is once again Helena Wayne. Uh, we talked about the 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 big 52 event. That um, that DC, you know, kind of scrapped everything and restarted it and everything. Um, so she, Huntress is back to being Hell in the Wayne from Earth to uh, now is where we're at now with that. Now, what I didn't, I never knew about this. I found out in 1979, uh, Hanna Barbera made a two special Legends of the Superheroes event that the Huntress was part of. And this was like live action. All of the heroes from the DC universe basically were, were in this live action thing, centered around Batman with, um, you know, the classic uh, uh, Adam West and Burt Ward, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. As yeah. as as Batman and Robin, and, uh, and I guess the second, like, I, I still haven't seen this, but the second episode of this was like a celebrity roast with Ed McMahon hosting it. Okay. So I. Like I can't even imagine that. Like I, I, I definitely have to like find this and, and watch it just to see like what the hell's going on with this. That's that's about it as far as All I can right. find the Huntress. All right. Well, listen, we're going to take a look at the third episode called "Pray for the Hunter," P R E Y, and it was aired on October twenty third, two thousand two. Uh, the teleplay was written by Edward Kitsis and Adam Horowitz, whose names I really I, I knew I knew them from somewhere, and and. They wrote a number of episodes of Lost and currently work on Once Upon a Time. Yeah, and, and Once Upon a Time in Wonderland, but not they anymore. They do that also? Yeah, yeah but not, no. not anymore. 
Right. So uh, going back to the title, Pray for the Hunter, I'm wondering if we're supposed to look at it in terms of a double meaning. Uh, Yeah, definitely. uh, Because this episode uh, was really, I I think, uh, about self-esteem, finding balance in life and, and just really the you know, the, the downside of being a superhero. But even before we get into that, you know, the music in this show really, really grabs me. I really love it. It's uh, very reminiscent. You didn't watch Alias, right? Uh, no, I have not. Yeah, I mean, it's really reminiscent of the music on Alias. And and it's not surprising, same time period. And I went back and looked, and, and the people doing the music, there doesn't seem to be any kind of a link. So, uh, I just had to say that. So, all right. First thing, we we get a time frame established in this episode that it's seven years after Batman has left, and we've established a metahuman subculture that's living under the radar, and this subculture has a bar at which these people can meet with others like them. And apparently, they don't card at this bar either. No, and and that there could be a connection with a human. You know, I hate to. I hate to pull out the uh, uh, the plagiarism card, but uh, where have we seen these ideas I don't before? Know. Somewhere, somewhere. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll let that. We'll let it slide for now. But I think uh, we have to. I think uh, Lost Girl needs to turn their scripts to turnin.com for yes. uh, originality oh. check. Right. <laughs> yes. All right. So anyway, uh, so obviously one of the big themes of this episode is the the need to have balance in life because being a superhero is is and can be all consuming. And, you know, we see Barbara, you know, on the dating scene with the other teacher from work. Helena's got a Do little we bit see of the a... date though? Do we? Uh well I don't think we see Yeah. In, it just in this episode. Happens. Well right, but I mean, you know, then then it's uh right, they're out in the field and of course she gets called away. Right. And then she's got the little things well she has it set up in her classroom, right? Yes. But I was just kind of referring to this whole meeting the parents thing that just happened off screen completely and just right. is mentioned kind of casually later, you know. Correct, correct. But but regardless, I mean that they're they're trying to have a normal social life. You know, Helena's, you know, she wants to meet a boy. And and, and that whole idea of self esteem and being comfortable with who you are, and I guess we see a lot of that out of Dinah and the you know, now I I would say struggling amidst all the high school you know, experiences, but she doesn't hang around high school very long. No. Well, you know, the teacher does the whole, oh, you're a new student. Oh, come up and say something about yourself. It's like, really? Like, give the kid a break. It's hard enough yeah. just being in a completely new environment all the time. Now you're turning all the attention on on me and making me say stuff and that people are just going to throw back at me in the lunchroom later, as does happen. Yeah, although I guess I guess that stuff really happens in real life, although I have my doubts. Yeah. But, all right, so anyway, we've got uh basically we've got two stories going on, right? We've got a procedural somebody's killing metahumans with their own powers. And this was kind of a cool twist. That was a cool uh, twist. You know that that uh while fighting crime, Huntress encounters what are we going to call him? Acid spitting guy. Yeah, <laughs> we had Liquid Guy last week, yeah. so uh, yeah. but we don't have to call him anything because he gets killed like right away. So yeah, good point. So <laughs> he's killed by someone spitting acid. And he's got and like then, the goofy tongue too, you know. Like oh well, right, right. Uh, but I think what's important there is that again we, we get another piece of information in that 
uh, no two metahumans possess the same power, or else it's very, very, very rare right. for it to occur. So Dude, which this is immediately why it's so weird. What's that? Why, why it's so weird that how these all these metahumans are dying. Now, I, I really like the way they did this. Uh, you know, the, the detective from the other precinct shows up at New Gotham City PD, is paired with Reese. Yep, Joe so, Flanagan from Stargate Atlantis. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Which uh, I've never seen, but I just I, I looked it up. Okay. You know what? I watched a few episodes early um, yeah. and, and just, again, never had. I liked it, just didn't have the time. But I like the, again, the reference that Reese is the Mulder of the division. Yeah, I like that Mulder Jr., right? right? And almost immediately we see there's, some, you know, something's not quite right because he gets these severe headaches, carries a big bottle of aspirin, and tells Reese that the Bloodhaven PD was only too happy to get rid of him via transfer. Um, I guess he thinks I'm Mulder Jr. Yeah. So. Well, but, you know, at first we're like, oh, this is awesome because here's a guy who believes Reese, right? Ex- exactly. And so this is great. He's going to have, like, a kindred spirit, someone who can help him out. Like, you know, he, he won't be all by himself, which, let's face it, Reese has been kind of feeling kind of alone uh, recently and is having trouble trusting people and stuff. And so here's his chance, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, you know, juxtaposed against this is the B story where we're seeing, you know, all three women, uh, you know, Barbara, Dinah, Helena, that, you know, they're trying to have some semblance of a normal life. You mentioned about Barbara being asked out to meet the parents. And then we find out, unfortunately, that they won't accept her because of the wheelchair. Yeah. Like, really? Yeah. I mean, Greg, uh, like, it was, you know, 13 years ago or something, or 12 years ago, but it's, it's not like we're in the dark ages that. Yeah. Well, and, and you wonder, is that a nod from the writers to the executive ah. producers? You know, because we, we you know, you know, for the for, for the little bit of information that's out there regarding this show, apparently, you know, the network was not real happy about having one of the major characters in a wheelchair. So, uh, you wonder if that perhaps is where that originated. But you know, one thing we have to wonder is where's this relationship going to go? Right. In terms of their relationship, is she going to hold him responsible for the actions of his parents? Well, I think the answer to that is no, right? The question is, given what she does for her side job, is this going to be something that's even going to be feasible? Well, true. And as, you know, actually, I I would take that a step further, as we've talked about before, and I'm just going to put it out there again and say, I don't trust Wade, and I think he's a bad guy. Okay. All right. Yeah. So I think um, that ultimately it won't be feasible because he's going to show his true colors and, you know. Okay. See, I, I think it's going to be one of these situations where he's going to turn out to be a good guy. And just like on Arrow, he's going to, something's going to happen that he's going to have to be made aware of. In this case, I guess, what are we going to call it? The clock tower or wherever, you know, they. Right. They have their little lair, but uh, all right. So we we see Dinah's first day of high school, and and you know, okay. You mentioned being asked by the teacher to stand up and just tell us a little bit about yourself, and okay, so maybe that wouldn't really happen in real life, but still, I, I'm I mean, not sure. I never, that, I never do that. I mean, I know, well, I know you outed uh, you and Mike out yourselves on uh, on Liberate, so I figured might as well just admit that yes, we are high school teachers, but I never ever do that to a kid coming in their first day. You just say like, "Hey, here's you know, Jimmy or Johnny. Everyone, say hi. Be nice. Yeah, you know, I'm not gonna stand the kid up and say, "All right, now that the whole class is looking at you. Say something about yourself." 
Yeah, right. But <laughs> would that if that was the worst thing that happened to you, is that enough to make you bail on the first day? Well, there's just so many reasons to bail in high school, <laughs> just <Wow>. in general. <laughs> you know, it's not like she needs a big excuse. You know, like it, it, uh, but uh, yeah, uh, no, that's not a horrible thing. I don't think that's what makes her bail. I think she just, you know, is kind of used to doing things her own way. And and when she knows there's cooler things out there, you know, like well, when you're in high school, you suspect there's cooler things out there. But most of what you deem cooler things are like, oh, I could be home, like racking up more points on Call of Duty, or I could be, you know, doing bad things or something like that but you know really those aren't like real like better things and she knows there's like a real useful better thing that she could be doing you know well well true and i think also it's probably indicative of her past and that she's probably had you know i guess a pretty bad experience whether in high school whether in middle school and and just the you know the fact that she's so different uh, you know i, I mean I, I guess as she gets older she's more able to hide what it is she is but you know so anyway regarding high school i like the line that that huntress tells dinah it's the closest thing our society has to institutionalized torture <laughs> but, um and yeah. but i but i also did like and you know i really like their relationship how it's starting to get closer to the big sister little sister thing and tries to reassure her with the fact that you know it's that you're the new kid Right. That's why they stare. Nothing more. Just. But they always got the mean girls, though. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, and and your choice of Huntress was was, I think, pretty on point because this episode, however, seems to be more about Huntress than the other two. And in the opening scene, she bemoans the fact that she never gets to be a regular girl. How she's supposed to meet a regular guy uh, in fact, I think in that opening scene, she says something about, you know, there's not even anybody that's save worthy. So, yeah, and, and, you know, fair, fair enough, right? Like yeah. you're a superhero. And so that means, well, I mean, they're just, we look at superheroes and for the most part, we know, yes, they have a secret identity and sure. Oh, that they have to maintain that, but it's not like often that you really kind of get into what that means as far as like on a human level and for a young attractive woman that means you don't ever get out you're lonely right the only people you really hang out with is um you know your your best friend probably and then some new high school kid and you know you probably want more than that from life but on the other hand you know you 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 feel this compulsion to serve that you know, puts you know in an altruistic manner. She's basically putting her own desires aside in order to help others. I guess. Well, yeah, and then the fact that she's half human and half metahuman that seems to get focused on a lot, and she seems to want to embrace her human side, uh, since her metahuman side only deals with criminals and bad people. So, uh, and and when she tries to do that with the one character that you know that clearly she has affection for at least in the early stages is Reese but he still sees her as a thing and that's right. kind of a stumbling block at this point right yeah which she she mentions that you know you know and, and rightly so he sees her as something to be feared if nothing else because he doesn't understand her um 
she continues to refuse to tell him her name, though she does reveal Huntress rather than Helena. Right. Um, and tells him that he hasn't earned the right to know her name, which I kind of liked. I, I really did like that that aspect of her approach. Yeah, especially since Reese has, you know, I mean, he's he's a he's a good character and obviously very likable. We like him a lot, but he is a bit. I don't know. Word is like maybe moralistic or something like that. Where you know he's got these standards for other people, particularly Helena. Uh, yeah, but it's tough. It's tough to. He doesn't know what he's dealing with, and sure. and she won't tell him. So you know, in the absence of any, you know, true information, I guess I guess we have to be somewhat sympathetic with him. Um, yeah, but like you know, here's the thing though: like the degree of the hotness of the female then should wear away at the amount of resistance to a relationship, I guess. So, Did you learn that in math class? <laughs> yes, <laughs> that, okay. that is a, a an actual theorem uh, done in, in ancient Greece, I believe, okay. at some point. I think it was, uh, but right. but well, you know, like I mean, she's like super hot, dude. So like, why you, you know, like just you know, let it go, <laughs> yeah. you know, for crying out loud. Like you gotta understand that. Uh, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe he meets women like this all the time and everything. But from my point of view, I'm like, dude, just you know. Go, go for it. You know, stop, stop being such a tool. Right. Don't ask. Yeah. Don't all right, ask. All right. Don't all ask. Right. Well, well, we find out this detective that showed up is metahuman himself, and and we we learned relatively early on that he only experiences his headache pain when he's in close proximity to another metahuman, which is now why he's trying to eliminate them all. So we figure out why it is, what his motive is to killing all these other metahumans, and. Yes. Okay, I, I guess it makes sense. Uh, obviously, kind it's not of. it's not the right thing to do, but but it does make sense. At least we we understand why now. And, and we're, uh, we're we're willing to let it go enough within the context of the show. Basically, it doesn't make I, sense at all, really. But yeah. all right, here's what doesn't make sense to me. Okay, the detective tells Reese, and correct me if I got something wrong here. The detective tells Reese about a vigilante that prowled New Gotham at night, right, while dressed as a bat. Yes. To fight crime. Yes. Well, was the city not aware yeah, of Batman? That, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm trying to find where, where my notes are about because, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Morton tells Reese all about Batman, and Reese is like, "Get out of here." Yeah, that didn't happen. Like, dude, no, no one told you about Batman, right? Now it, this it was, is new. I guess this is new Gotham City, but yeah. <laughs> so maybe they, did they erase everyone's memories or something? Like, how could he not know about Batman if he's yeah. new Gotham City or or whatever? I, I mean, that was just. I, maybe they're going somewhere with that, you know? Yeah. But I was like, what the hell? Like, I'm like, he's he's. At first, I thought he was talking about someone else, and I'm like, no, he's he's describing Batman, like. Yeah. How does Reese not know about Batman? <laughs> I know. So, all right. Well, anyway, the Huntress, you know, and and I guess this was a pretty good showdown. Again, you know, I've I've said before, I'm not a big action sequence guy. I like you to keep them short and concise to the point. But her her battle with, uh, you know, the detective who's trying to eliminate all the metahumans. Yeah, Morton. yeah it, it was. I mean, that was pretty good because she recognizes re relatively quickly that 
she doesn't have anything on him. I mean, she knows how to use her powers because she's had them, and he's, I guess, essentially learning on the fly. But still, it's it's a relatively evenly matched. But she's ready to give up her own life to take out the detective. Yeah, I, I mean, know? this fights are were pretty cool. Yeah, but I mean, she's ready to you yes. know, go over the edge. Sure. And, and well, but that, you know, that goes back to what we said before. I mean, you know, this whole superhero thing is it's an altruistic endeavor right it's you're not getting paid for this well and it's also very isolating yeah yeah you're lonely you're faced with death every night yeah you have no really very limited possibilities of any kind of romance or regular life or anything like that so you're just basically giving and and uh you um risking yourself constantly so that to to try and help others so right. yeah so that's totally like that's that's like part of the deal of being the super, superhero well, in this case well right but the other thing i find interesting is that you know she's worked with barbara gordon long enough to know that yeah, this, this cannot have been the first time that she would you know had her back to the edge of a building so to speak and that I, she had to know that barbara was going to come up with a way out of the situation but it was almost as if she didn't care right? that, that she was just, this was, she'd had enough. Um, obviously she doesn't, but uh, you know, again, she's on comms with Barbara. Uh, Got to go dates here and uh, you know, headed for a bad place. Well, I, I really liked the way they defeated him. I didn't see that one coming, right? Just yeah. get a, get a, I don't know. What do you call a, you know, we have, it's a called a murder of crows. What do you call a, uh, a gaggle of metahumans. So. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't yeah, know. And, a, and he, a gag, your gaggle's good. Yeah, and he can't handle the noise, and and then uh, you know that's how they're able to subdue him. So now we're we're still not completely done uh, in terms of the the story with you know with the women trying to you know put some I don't know just some order in their life outside of being superheroes, and you know we we. we come back to the thing with Reese who sees her as a thing we you know wait he pulls a gun on her which yeah not that's not cool no and I'm gonna guess I'll make my prediction that's gonna set their potential relationship back a few paces yeah maybe or it you know it could be kind of exciting tantalizing as well uh-huh his big phallic symbol you know yeah but <laughs> well well the other thing though she visits him in the hospital because uh, he got shot, right? Yes. Is, yeah, he yeah. got shot in the arm or something. Right, because right. uh, Morton went to shoot him, and she, like, like hit the gun or something. So he didn't kill him. Right, Because right. Morton got angry that, that Reese was like, oh, yeah, she's kind of right. And then, you know. Yeah. But he, he makes a, a comment that she looks good, and I think he's more, you know, I think he's more making a comment on the fact that she doesn't look like she just had the crap beat out of her uh, than the fact that he thinks she's attractive, which, of course, we know he does. But she responds that that's a benefit of the meta lifestyle. I heal quickly on the outside. Right. So, uh, you know, again, and again, we, we've got, I guess, 10 episodes, 10 or 11 episodes to go in this show and and I know we're going to get to the end and and really be disappointed about where we did not get to go. Yeah, I mean that's that's the bad thing about going back and, and watching a show like this is you know you're going to get to the end and it's just going to be like 
Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, they could have done so much. Yeah. And, but, uh, yeah, so you just got to have to, we just have to live for the moment, Dave. Yeah. Now, if, if we were doing a, uh, a really section, I'd, I'd probably go to the speech that she makes to Reese. Uh, not all metas are bad, you know, well, okay, come on. That was, <laughs> that was a bit much, but you know, yeah. uh, but all in all a really, I, I just think the really good episode, uh, you know, we see the family relationship that's evolving. Barbara, Helena is the mother daughter. And of course they've been together for a while. Um, you know, the, the, you don't understand. Okay. Yeah. I guess no daughters ever said that to her mother. Yeah. Never, ever. Uh, right. The Helena, Dinah, big sister, little sister, you know, trying to impart wisdom. Uh, yeah. <laughs> at the same time, the kind of bug that little sis wants to tag along all the time. Yeah. Uh, which was definitely pretty cool. Um, but the bar, uh, the sim- yeah. similarity to the doll is unmistakable. No question and, about it. Um, the bartender frosty and the bar owner whose right. gift is that he never forgets anything as he, that he encounters, uh, sight, smell, taste, hearing, Speaks in complex, imagery-laden, metaphorically-laced <laughs> phrase, which Dinah can't seem to follow. Yeah. I thought that was pretty cool, although Frosty's no longer with us, right? He Poor Frosty, though. Yeah. Frosty got, got the... Got, again, just like that just happened kind of out of... I feel like there are certain things that happened in this episode that maybe should have at least shown a little bit, you know? Because yeah. doesn't Frosty just kind of like... He's just dead, like all of a sudden. Like, oh, it's Frosty. Like, wait. When 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 did when did he die? Yeah, well, but I mean, I guess that you know he obviously came into contact with uh, right. the detective and you know got the uh, insta tasty freeze. So oh, good one, Dave. Yeah. All right. So uh, <laughs> anyway, anything else about this episode? Yeah. No. It's it's uh, totally enjoyable. Um, yeah. You, know, you like the the yeah the characters are really super likable and uh, how they relate to one another. Um, is really cool and even having a sniveling teenager in there uh she's even she's kind of cool too and yeah. uh and everything so, so um yeah good times right. yeah so uh we'll take a look at ex- episode four next time uh you can drop us a line at fatalistpodcast at gmail.com or check out the website fatalist.podbean.com where you can also leave us a voicemail just click on the green tab I don't know which side it's on. You know, I think I said right side last time, it's and then last time somewhere. I looked, it's on the left side. So left side, right side. No one it's uses on, it anyway, Dave. So yeah, the speak pipe. It's on there. Yeah, well, yeah. All right. So there, guilt usually works, especially with my mom. Um, and you know, we'll try to keep you up to date on Twitter. Uh, and as most of the listeners are likely doing, you can still access us through iTunes. Uh, we're also on Stitcher, by the way. I I had signed us up for that a long time ago, and it was not a very elegant uh, website so that I stopped, you know, it was making me physically go in and update every time we did a new episode. So I stopped doing it. Well, apparently now it does it automatically again. So uh, I've been getting notifications. So some of the, I, I know some of the listeners are getting us through Stitcher. So you can continue to do that. But until next time. Dave, how am I supposed to be a regular guy if I spend my evenings body slamming scumbags? <laughs>